Good morning. Um, if, uh, if, if I don't know you, it's probably for good reason. Um, if, if you're new, um, and when I say new, not just today, but probably since you've been coming since 2017 had begun, um, I, I probably don't know you. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. And, and I want to say this real quickly. If you've been coming since you know, the beginning of 2017 and we haven't met each other, let's do me a solid. I'm going to be out in the lobby afterwards. Can you at least come up and say hi? Um, we can get to know each other. We're going to be in this for the long haul with one another. So I'm going to do that well. Um, so normally at this time, I would kind of lay out, uh, or one of us would lay out what redemption is and how we operate and, and how to get connected, but we're actually not going to do that this morning. We're going to do something before we get into the sermon. A little bit of background if you are new. Um, for the last four months, I've been on a leave of absence, and, uh, and it's been kind of a tailwind of emotions, both for me and for our church, and um, I know it hasn't been the easiest at, at times for some of you guys. So we thought, uh, unified, as a unified voice, um, we would walk you through kind of um, how we got where we are. Um, so, so the goal in this is to take uh, as long as needed, but the goal would be 10 minutes and, um, and just give you a little bit of background of where we were. So talking about um, what was going on before, uh, how we got where we, where, where we are, uh, where we are currently as a church now, where we feel we are now, and then um, ultimately moving forward. And so uh, actually John, Vince, and Jim are going to uh, answer those questions. And then I'm going to kind of just help uh, fill in the narrative with, with some of that and ask some questions to, to build on that. So um, John, take us back 2016, late 2016, um, years winding down. We make the decision to start the year off the first Sunday, which there was maybe 12 people in the, at church that day. It was, uh, it was the day after, it was New Year's Day, right? Um, so we make the announcement that uh, I'm going to be on a leave of absence. We don't know how long the time is. Why don't you walk us through how we got there? Yeah, thanks. And just for some clarity, um, the four of us are elders yes, at Redemption Peoria, you. if yep. you're new as well. I'm John, this is Vince and, and Jim. Um, There's a saying that says a good story spreads faster than the actual truth. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but um, that I've experienced some truth in that statement the last four months because the four of us as elders have heard all types of narratives of why Sean was placed on this leave of absence. Um, Everything from words like scandal to uh, mutiny and um, have been used to kind of describe our decision collectively. And I get it. Like, I get if, if... you've experienced Sean and you go, man, this guy's great. Like he must have done something to disqualify himself from, from being on this leave of absence. There had to be something he did. Um, and the best way I know how to explain it is using the image of an iceberg, right? You guys have seen this illustration before that only 10% of the iceberg is visible. 90% sits below the surface. And so for some of you, you've experienced Sean, our lead pastor in this 10% role. And so you're thinking, man, there has to be something wrong. Like, this is a cover-up. Something really happened. Let me explain to you as clearly as I can. There is nothing that Sean did from a moral or a secret sin perspective that put him on this leave of absence. It's not like we didn't like Sean or we wanted to take over the church. None of that is true. None of that's true. But as we've planted, we've seen like areas, even before we planted two years ago, we started to see some areas of emotional growth that were concerning to us under the surface of Sean's life. And the thing with Redemption Church is they actually care about their leaders. They really, really do. They care more about the results or less about the results of their leaders and more about who their leaders are becoming. And so we saw these issues under the surface and we said, man, we need to, we need to help you with that. And Sean was aware of it. And he actually took steps in those last two years towards his emotional growth. 
But the way we've grown so quickly has not allowed him the time off to really go after this area. And so we made the decision collectively to say, dude, if you're going to be the leader we know God is calling you to be for the long haul of our body, we need you to take some intentional, undistracted time to work on the emotional growth of your soul. And so we made the hard decision to do that. And that's what happened on January 1st when we came up to give that time off. And so um, it's clear, like, I didn't like the decision at all. No, you did not. I was very upset. I tend to be a runner, like, let's go follow Jesus or we're all going to hell type of guy, right? Sure. Um, I appreciate that. Which I guess is true. I I guess no one in the room would say, yeah. yeah. But but because I'm a runner, I didn't like that, right? So my response immediately was not good. I'd love for you maybe to speak for all three of you. Can you talk about the difficulty of that? Just the decision itself? Because I know that... The weight of that, I mean, I, I know I receive crazy stuff calling you some crazy sure, things. Sure, um, sure, So just sure. talk, can you talk just, All of us, yeah. just giving you a moment, not to just to defend yourself, but man, no, talk about yeah. the struggle with you guys. It, um, and Vince will get a, a little bit more into that, but um, it was an extremely hard decision. Yeah. Right. We're doing our best to follow Jesus and follow the spirit in the midst of all of it. We knew it was a risk. Um, we didn't know if Sean, if you were going to bolt or how you're going to receive it. We could have done it way better. We yeah. realized that on, on the back end. Um, but it was a risk that we felt like we were willing to take for the long haul yeah. to say, man, we, we've been trying to chip away at this thing for the last two years in this area and there's been growth, but we need to, we need to take some more time to do yeah. this. So yeah, that's good. It was really, really tough. That's, I, I immediately think of an example for you. Like I think of a basketball player who in season wants to work on something, but because the season's going on, he can't get to it. So you intentionally set aside this time, dude, you're not playing for this, you know, two, three, four, five months. So you can work on this part of your game. And, and I, I appreciate that, um, you laying that out. You came with images. Vince, you come with images? Zero. No, okay. Zero images. <laughs> Zero images. Okay. Well. Yeah, my apologies. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a creative guy, so this is like the artsy kind of right, right. creative people. So I just kind of bullet point it and come at it. So that's what you got in me. So, um, so yeah, where, where are we at now? Um, how has it been the last few months? Um, excruciatingly painful at times. Um, but also unbelievably, inexpressibly, um, tangibly joyful as well. Um, you know, all of these things are much easier when all parties involved um, love Jesus. And that's the difference maker. I mean, we're, Josh is leading us and holding uh, fast to our steady anchor. And the last four months, we've all just been bear-hugging the anchor. I mean, it is... Uh, it's been a wild ride. It's been tough. Um, certainly being in positions of having to, yeah, defend ourselves is not something that, um, you know, you ever want to be in. And it's been tough to respond or not to respond with some of the, yeah, in, insane things that have been said about us. But, um, you know, Josh, uh, our worship pastor, has a, uh, a saying he always comes back to is that God is your defense. God is your defense. And it's, it's true. Um, it's never wrong to do the right thing. And uh, we felt uh, really strongly and called to do it by, by God. So uh, the last four months have been, have been great. We've had time to um, cry together, to laugh together, um, get to know each other, shoot guns together, um, almost die together on a late night ranger ride up in the mountains. That was, that was fun. Um, but, uh, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, tons of vulnerability, tons of humility, tons of forgiveness. Um, just a really, really sweet and precious time for us to engage with each other, um, to learn, uh, about each other, um, and to just be together, uh, in the presence of Jesus, uh, 
uh, with each other. It's been really, really neat. And so uh, the, last, the things that we've seen in the last few months with Sean and really in all of us um, have been really, really powerful. Um, not that we could have articulated um, seeing everything that we've seen as if we, we knew that was going to happen, um, but we certainly didn't. But um, God is faithful. And being in the midst of this, really seeing firsthand God's promises um, coming true and, and constantly being around us. It's hard to find joy in the midst of, of, uh, of these trials as, um, James talks about, but, but it's true. Um, there is joy and pain at the same time. So, uh, one of the things we really want to make sure some people have asked us, uh, Hey, Sean's coming back. Does this mean he, he completed the process and, and it's finished and he did everything you guys wanted him to do. And I just want to just really push back on that to let you know that that's not what this was. There as if something was wrong with Sean, and now he's fixed. Um, not even close. It, it, nothing further from the truth. So I mean, I am fully sanctified. <laughs> but besides that, yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, um, yeah so it, it's, it's been... Uh, and this is the stuff we deal with, so just to <laughs> That is why the leave of absence had to take place. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, but it's really, I mean, it, it is part of, of our sanctification process for sure that um, is never going to be completed. And not just for Sean, but for us. I mean, uh, for all of us, looking back and the things that we've learned and the things that God's been able to do in us has been uh, really powerful. So we really, Bible talks about refining and, and pruning. Um, and, and those are the things that we really um, believe this kind of process to be. That's the season that we're in. And, and those refining processes and the pruning is super painful, um, but they're never complete. And so we are on a different trajectory, if you will. We're not, we're not, haven't arrived at a destination. We haven't completed anything. This is a step in a process. Um, and so we're, we're really excited that we're here. Um, we're encouraged by what we've all experienced together um, and certainly never been more hopeful for the future of our relationships and uh, the future of the congregation here at Redemption Peoria. That's good. So you brought up the future. Jim, you want to kind of lead us into what that looks like? So you, you obviously got the gray hair. You got the wisdom. <laughs> Talk us through. I mean, you've been through su- similar, not exactly, but similar situations like this. I mean, what's this do? We talked about, I brought up depth. It creates some depth for us. What does this look like for us in the future? Why was this important? Yeah, I think... Um, in fact, back up. I don't think. Let me start this way. When we planted Redemption Peoria about two years and three months ago, there was probably an eight or nine month process to that. And uh, this is Shirley and my second church plant. We did one in Cleveland a bunch of years ago. Uh, and we were excited then to be part of this team, and that's still today. I would much rather be in a church plant than be in a church that we're trying to keep air into it. You know, give it CPR, let's work on them. It's tough work. There's no doubt about it. I mean, because we don't have offices. They closed my favorite office at the uh, Crossroads bookstore. So I'm looking for an office to do counseling. So I just drive all around the valley. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but moving forward, there's two operative um, terms that you hear all the time here. One is all, uh, all of life, all for Jesus. That continues to be on the radar. And then gospel-centered and outward-focused. Nothing's changed that way. That's where we're going. Um, in the weeks ahead, we are going to enter into what I call the pray and plan period. In a couple of weeks, we're going to lock ourselves in a classroom in Huntington University for two or three, two or three days, probably two. That would be great. And really lay into the planning, looking at who we are, where we've been, because the past influences the future. There's no doubt about it. Evaluate where we are today so that as we lay some plans for the future, uh, we are really seeking God's face. 
So I want to ask you to pray with us, the elders, for God's direction. Very clear. So there's great harmony on the elder board. Um, because as we proceed, we want to bathe everything in prayer. So over the next two weeks, when, as you pray, just, man, pray a little extra for us and for our church as we look forward to that. Um, and we want to do uh, things that honor God in all ways and impact our community. Key. West side, local, circles, all those things. So that's where we want to go. Um, in our membership class, if you've been in a couple of those, we, we've done two in the last couple of years. Uh, and in our documents, we talk about how while we are elder-led church, we seek the input from the congregation and from the members. So as we work through these things over the weeks and, and months ahead during the summer, you're going to have, we're going to look for some conversations to get a sense from you what you think. Because it's just not the four of us sitting there going, let's, oh, let's do this. It's much more important for us to understand what you think, what your hearts are, so that as we come together, we can really um, understand God's will and direction. So I love church planning. My hope is, yeah, that I'm going to keep doing this until it's time for Jimbo to boogie. That means go to heaven anyway. But <laughs> So, yeah, my goal is we're leaning in. We're going to lean in as a team. There's no doubt. And, uh, uh, and, and so we would covet your prayers as we begin to plan for the future for, 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 for the fall. So it's good. We're very hopeful. Yeah. I, Jim, if you can in a minute, pray for us. I just, I want to add that if you're new, this might be a little odd that we're doing this. Um, but I just want you to see it more than anything that four guys coming up as elders of the church. If you're not familiar with the church world is a big way of our saying of saying that this is important to us, like coming on Sunday and getting together in communities and doing this church thing. Um, is, is a value, and, and it matters, and we, we take it serious. And these guys take it serious enough to say, hey, listen, we, we know this is not going to be an easy, easy decision, but you need to take a break. And, um, and I just I want you to know fr- from our heart like to yours, like we're in this for the long haul with you guys. Like If you're down to go the distance and go for the rest of your life together doing this, we are too. And we don't know what God's going to do numerically. We don't know what he's going to do when trials and tribulations hit. We have no idea. But we know and we believe that this is God's grace here on earth as the church. And so we're excited to be able to do that. Um, and we hope that God gives us guidance in that. And so, Jim, if you wouldn't mind praying for us um, as elders and, and all that. That was, that was, if we're going to go, let's go hard. Okay, there we go. That's good. Yeah. Father, we're grateful for this morning, Father. Uh, we are grateful for your leading, for your direction, uh, for help and comfort given in great trials and tribulations. Father, we commit ourselves as elders to this congregation for your work, for your desire and your will. Father, we pray that you would uh, bless us with wisdom. Father, that you would continue to grow Redemption Peoria on the west side so that we could be an influence for you and for your son Jesus, Father, that we can meet people on the roads and the highways and in different places where we work, and we can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Father, we pray for your continued direction. We thank you for your grace and mercy, and we ask your blessing on the future in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> if you guys um, wouldn't mind standing up real quick, we're going to read God's word. I am going to read it, and then I'm going to do a little explaining. Um, and I, I want to say, too, very quickly as you stand up, and I, um, this wasn't a part of it, but I just immediately thought of um, a couple guys that if you know, you probably obviously have seen them. Guys like Tyler Johnson, Tom Schrader, Frank, who've come out a couple times and preached. Um, and I know they're not here right now, but 
they deserve a huge thank you for what they did. And, and another guy, which I believe with the elders really holding things together, but I think for me coming to church on Sunday, there's been this kind of one thing that has been the constant and one thing that has been the, this is good, this is home, and it's, it's the worship. Um, and Josh Miles, listen, dude kills it, y'all. He kills it. Um, and so I just want to say thanks to Josh for sure for doing all that you do, man. This is our text. We are taking a break from Acts this morning. So um, if you can't hear God's word, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, at, uh, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. Um, so... Here's why we're taking a break from Acts, and here's why I picked this verse. Um, as soon as I really started to feel the lead that um, we were, Josh, what time am I supposed to be done? No? Okay, 12-ish. Um, <clears throat> 10. 11? 10? Okay. Um, so, so as I started to feel, feel uh, kind of the, the push towards, you know, I, this, is, this is working. I'm, I'm going to be standing up there before our church again. This text had come to mind. Um, and, and here's what I want to do. Instead of walking you through all that God has done within me in the last uh, four or five months, I want to lay out this text to you by way of you, that, so you can understand that the way it hit me is how I'm relaying it to you. Meaning, um, I read this uh, in a sermon. It's an Andrew Murray sermon. Andrew Murray, about 200 years ago, preached this sermon. And um, uh, a guy named Martin Luther would say, it's good for priests, he used the term priest, but we can say pastors to steal sermons from dead men occasionally for the good of their church. And this is a moment where in a lot of ways I want to plagiarize what Andrew Murray taught on this passage. And I want to add some of my own comments, of course, give some Spurgeon input in that. And then at the very end, I want to give us uh, two very long quotes in what he said in this text, okay? And, and it's important that you understand I'm coming from that place because I want you to know the way I'm expressing this, this is how God hit me. The, the, what, what is coming out of this verse, this is what God did to me, and I want you to feel this because I think it's important not just for me to know, not just for our elders to know, or leaders, or staff, but for us as a church to know that if mission for the hope of Jesus Christ is the vehicle by which everything we do, communities and Sunday, that we are here on mission because of the hope of Jesus Christ, then what we're going to talk about this morning is the fuel for that vehicle, okay? It's what drives that very idea. So let me read it to you again. Hopefully you're already there. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to start by reading Spurgeon. Um, So this is what he would say, because this is the only quote from my man Charles Spurgeon that I have for you, but it's about the text, what he commented about the text, and hopefully gets at why I'm sharing this text. This is what he says. I'm afraid that we have not always noticed the fullness of this promise. Talking about uh, verses 28 through 30. Usually the text is preached from an invitation to the unconverted to come to Christ, and very properly so. Come unto me, all you who labor, that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But it is also an invitation to all those of you who are laboring after salvation was received, or are heavy laden with a load of sin. Or the burden of your daily cares. My main business will be with those who have come 
to Christ. And his point is, usually we hear this text, and it's a call to sinners. Come to me, those you who are heavy laden, those you who are burdened by the affairs of this world. But Spurgeon in this moment goes, let me dive a little deeper and just talk that this also can be preached and is for believers. And why it melted my heart the way that it did probably early February. Reading this and going, jeez, God, what are you doing? This is unbelievable. And so if, if you um, haven't heard me preach before, we're going to do a big Bible study together, y'all. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to go through this. We're going to go word by word. I'm going to do my best to unpack what this is. Um, context is always most important, but I'm going to give you the context in a minute. Let's go right at our text. Here it is. Come. Let's stop right there. Okay. Um, so so here, here's literally translated in Greek. It's uh, come here. Okay. Uh, Dute is the Greek word. It's used a couple other times, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what's interesting about the way that Jesus uh, sends out this invitation is it's actually an imperative. Now, if you don't know what an imperative is, we have imperatives in both Greek and English. It's, it's a command. He is in this moment looking at the people he's talking to and saying, come here. In the same way I, I would tell my son if uh, he was up on the coyote outside, right? I'm like, Corbin, get over here, okay? Um, it, it's this command, come here, right? And so what he says in this is this command to come here. Now, uh, it's interesting, Bible Hub, which is this website that has some commentaries and original language stuff, they actually uh, say that this term is an exclamatory term, meaning it's almost like um, a firefighter is looking into a burning house, and he's looking into this burning house, and you're standing there with the house burning around you, and he's going, come here, come here, this exclamatory nature. Now, from there, he says, come here to me. So now imagine that firefighter looking inside the house, and he's not saying come here as if this like ethereal, just get out of the house, come out of the house, but he's calling you to himself, which is amazing if we can stop for a moment. Because religiously, this is unbelievably unique. It's not the four paths to enlightenment like Buddha would offer. He's not giving you the the five ways of submission to find in peace as Islam. He's not even giving you 21 practical ways to, to remove your weariness as our American ethos would portray before us. No, Jesus, hear me, is offering himself. Come to me. Not even come to the Torah. Not, not even just come to prayer or my attributes. Come to me. Like, so, so you're, you're stuck, right? And Candace and I were talking about this last night as she had a panic attack. There's this moment where you're sitting in your room with all the anxiety and you're like, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? And it's a reminder that Jesus is right there. He's not offering some angel. He's not offering some way to get out of the anxiety. He's offering himself. Come here to me. And, and, and man, hearing those words, again, they rattled me. They rattled me. I mean, they, they shook me in some ways because I, I think what I started to do as we began to plant the church and the church began to grow was finding other avenues to find the comfort that I was seeking, right? To, to, for some reason, buying into the ridiculous church culture of what we need to be. And the reality is going, Jesus is offering himself. And that's where I'll find my rest. And let me prove it to you because this is what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. We don't use really the the term laden, so let me read NLT. Come uh, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Now, it's interesting because he says come to me, but he offers a condition, right? It's not offered to everyone, at least what we read for a moment. I mean, and it's not that unusual that Jesus does this because if we kind of Rolodex our mind, we remember in Luke 5, um, there's a moment where Jesus says, I haven't come for the healthy, but I've come for the sick. 
right? So Jesus is providing this condition to say, hey, come to me all who are heavy laden, who are wearisome. But if we can state the obvious, this isn't like literal heavy wearisome, right? And I know that may be obvious, but this isn't only for construction workers who carry beams on their back. I don't think we do that anymore. But, but um, it's not only for people who, who have some type of trade skill and work with their hands, right? The guy who's in the office, you're not heavy burdened and laden. No, this is kind of a, a, a really weird, like I'm offering it to you. If, if I could put it maybe in my own words, in this moment, Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who, who, you, you feel that? Like those of you who are out there who feel that, like that, like something's broken. Like I, I know something's broken. I, like I, I'm searching for something, but it's not satisfying. I'm working so many hours, but it's not providing that fix. Something's broken. And those who have it are scared to lose it. Those who want it kill themselves to get it. I just need something to fix this. And Jesus is looking at you going, hey, you, listen, listen, look at me, look at me. Come to me. Come to me. You're burdened. As Ecclesiastes 3.11 would tell us that eternity is stored up in your heart and you're trying to fix this problem. Come to me. It's not found in the job, man. It's not found in the kids. It's not found in the relationship. Come to me. It's not found in success. It's not found in power. Come to me. Come to me. Now, before he goes on, I, I, I want to um, acknowledge something that I recognize um, one, not everyone in here is a Christian. Um, but maybe more appropriately, when, when I stop and say Jesus is offering this burden this, to those who are burdened, heavy laden, it's those who feel this gnawing, this, I, God, I'm searching, I'm looking, where are you, that feeling. I think, obviously, there might be some people who would say, That's, I'm fine. Like, life is good. Like, and I can see that. And the reason I can see that is because since we've planted the church, um, I would say probably about a year ago, I started to like stray away from Jesus himself um, and not in like a heretical way, but like in a finding rest type way. And I don't think I would have said I was burdened or heavy laden, i.e. the reason I was upset with what the elders were doing. And so in this moment, we see Jesus offering something. And though it seems like a condition, those, oh, that's not for me. It's only for those who are burdened or heavy laden. I would actually put in front of you, this is a universal call. So this is where we need the context a little bit. So Jesus, before this, he makes a couple statements on on, uh, God the Father offering this to the lowly and the the foolish. But right before that, in this context of Matthew 11, he goes to these two cities, Karazin and Bethsaida. And he goes to these two cities and he offers himself. He says, I am here to bring what, I'm here to bring peace, here to bring that fulfillment. I'm asking you to come to me. And these two cities reject Jesus. They push back on what Jesus is offering. No, we're fine. I'm good, bro. And so what he begins to do is rebuke these two cities. It would be better off for you if you were blank, but you don't get it. I've offered myself to you. This is very similar to that Luke 5 passage when Jesus says, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Because in the moment, right, nobody goes to the hospital if they think they're healthy, unless it's for a checkup, right? Let me, let me read just so you know that Luke 5 passage. Just verses 31 and 32. I don't have it on the screen, so you have to track with me. Verse 31, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Verse 32, and I have come to call not those, hear me, hear this. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. 
So the idea is Jesus is correlating this sickness, this you know you need a doctor, to the fact that you recognize you're broken. And Jesus is saying to all those who are heavy laden, I'm offering this universally because you don't even recognize that you're carrying around burdens you don't need to carry. This is beautiful. And, and maybe for a moment you do push back. I, I think immediately of um, in, in Luke 14 where or Luke 15, maybe, uh, where Jesus gives this parable of the, the banquet, the great banquet. And it's this parable, if you're not familiar with it, where he says this guy decides to put together this banquet. And, and in putting together this banquet, he sends out some invitations and he brings these people, uh, tells these people to come in. And, and they get one um, RSVP pack and says, well, I can't come because I, I have to take care of this, this bowl situation. I, I, you know, I, I bought these bowls and I want to make sure they're good. And then he gets another uh, RSVP back and it says, well, I can't come because I bought some land. Then he gets another RSVP back. Well, I can't come because I, I just got married. And then what it says, I think this is really awesome, and it's saying this in, in Luke 14, verse 17, come for everyone, come for everything is now ready, there's the offer, and then verse 18, this is how Jesus describes these people who don't recognize they need to come to the table to feast, but they all alike began to make excuses. Together they began to make, come for everything is now ready, but they all alike began to make excuses. I think for a moment what Jesus is doing, what he did in me, what I hope that you can see is as we put these things in front of God, I'm not burdened. We're like facading. We're, we're putting up this fake uh, uh, mask of I'm good, but you're not good. Like I'll come to you, Jesus, but I got to take care of this relationship first. I got the job first. I got the money thing first. I got the success. I'll come, but, 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 but not now. And Jesus is looking going, I'm offering you Peace. Now, we're not done. Let, let, let's get at this. Um, and, and before we go on and we read the, the back half uh, of this section as we get into verses uh, 17 and 18, uh, I want to share something with you. That It was an example by a guy named Brian Berger. He's the community's pastor um, out in uh, Gilbert. And he had shared this, this uh, example because it's what he tells his kids when his kids are struggling with um, like feeling uh, this lack of content, right? And he says, I want you to imagine that there's a fish um, that's on the shore of a lake. And it's flapping all over, right? It's just there, and it's looking like it's going to die, and it has a hook in its mouth. And this fish can talk, right? And he's like, I got to get the hook out. I got to get the hook out. And his buddies, right? So here he is. His buddies are, are looking at him going, Phil, you got to get back in the water. And he's going, no, I got to get the hook out. And, and, and his buddies are trying to plead with him, get back in the water. See, the issue, though the fish thinks is the hook, and probably the hook should be taken care of. It's not that it's not a big issue. If he doesn't get back in the water, he's going to die. And I thought this was a perfect example because the reality is, man, ain't nobody in here saying your desire for a relationship, your desire for success, your desire for that job, your desire for whatever is a bad thing. It's just not what is most important. And Jesus' call in this moment is saying, I'm most important, come to me, you're feeling this burden, man. You're feeling this burden, and I can take care of that. And, and it's awesome, because here's what he goes on to say in, um, well, we're, I guess we're still in the middle of, of, of our section here. In offering to come to me, those who are heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm always weary of, well, weary, pun intended, not really, but um, I'm, I'm always like, when a guy comes up and he talks about the Bible and he puts the emphasis on a certain word in a statement, like making it kind of say what he wants to say, 
But I think with further context, I think there is an inflection in Jesus' voice when he makes this statement. I think ultimately the inflection would go like this, and I'll defend it. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, or, or who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No, 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 I will. I'll give you rest. And here's what I mean. Right after Jesus is done saying the section that we're in together, we start in Matthew 12, right? So he kind of goes on continuing to talk. And what he begins to lay out, and maybe you're not familiar with this, but he begins to lay out something called the Sabbath. And he says, in the Old Testament, there was this idea that you would find your rest on a certain day, that you were to relax and be on a certain day. But I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So whatever you think you would do to find that rest, I'm ultimately rest. I think what he's doing is juxtaposing himself to all these other rests, which is important, right? Put your theology thinking caps on for a second. For a moment, we can step back and go, that means there's synthetic rest. That means there's false rests out there. That means you and I can find rest somewhere else. We can look to something else. And in this moment, I think the inflection comes and I will give you rest. He's not giving you betting to make this rest. No, he's offering himself. I'll give it to you. I know you think that's going to give you rest, but I promise you it's not. So, so let's just stop for a moment because I think this is important as we kind of turn a corner here with our text. What, what I felt and I, what I hope you to uh, uh, see as well. Um, you're not so far in that you actually believe that even if you got everything that you think should take place in your life, you would be happy, right? Like, even if you found him, or even if you found her, or you got that promotion, or, or, or even you went in the direction and life went, whatever's going on right now in your mind, I wish I didn't have to travel here, I wish I didn't have to do this, whatever it was, you recognize that even if it went exactly the way it's supposed to, exactly the way it's supposed to, you still wouldn't find rest. And I think that's what Jesus in this moment is saying, no, you, I'll give you rest. I will. So even if it played out the way it's supposed to, I'll give you rest. That's not going to satisfy. We'll talk about more why that's important, but let's keep going. Verse 29. Um, and as we read this, uh, so only got an hour left. Um, as we read this, I think um, there's a big question that we've got to ask is, well, like, how does this look practically, right? Because, I mean, I read this sermon by Andrew Murray, and, man, it, like, hit me. Like, Jesus, I need you. And then let me, let me be straight with you. So I, I got saved in the charismatic world. And for charismatics, this comes a lot easier. So I think I shared this with you guys, but there were nights where I, because uh, I was the janitor for about three years there before I was the assistant youth pastor or the youth pastor or anything like that at this, the church that I, that, um, uh, I spent most of, uh, probably the first 10 years of, of my salvation. And, and uh, there were nights where I had to lock up and I just felt this crazy call like, Jesus, I need to know you. Like, I remember just finishing reading Exodus, and it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. And I'm going, God, this is real then. You can talk to me. I know you're there. My spirit senses you, yet I feel this distance, and I would strive for that. I mean, there are nights where as everyone left, I'd lock the doors behind them. I would get completely naked. I would turn, I'm not joking, completely naked. I would turn the music on full blast, and I would just run around and like, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Okay? Straight up. Straight up. And like, I'm just like, nobody's. Open the eyes of my heart. Okay? I had a problem. Um, so, 
So, so here's, here's uh, why, why that, that when I read this, this is, and so I think there's this call to go, man, man, Jesus is calling us to come to himself, but what does this look like practically? Like, like honestly, like I say it and it sounds great, but what am I talking about? This is, I think, the beauty of what Jesus does. He, he kicks us off on the right foot to think practically about this. He doesn't give you the five ways to do it or three ways to do it, but I think he's, he points us in the right direction with this statement. This is what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, um, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard two dozen sermons on what a yoke is, right? If you're not familiar, um, if you can think of this kind of, uh, I don't know, collar for a bull, right? And then there's this wood beam that usually goes across to another collar, and this is where you get the equally yoked idea, so two bulls go into these collars, and usually what's pulled behind them is a tiller, right? This is old, uh, old school tilling. In this moment, Jesus is using that language, going, bulls wear this yoke, and they've got a pull, and it's difficult, but I'm offering you a different yoke. And instead of breaking down why all that's important, here's all I want you to hear. And this is big, and it may sound overly simple. In this moment, when you're searching to know how to come to Jesus and what it looks like, all you need to hear in his voice in this moment is he's offering something different. He's offering something different. Because it's not that Jesus just has really good theology. Jesus has phenomenal anthropomology. No, that's not the right word. Anthropology? Anthropology. Let's go with that one. He, he knows, he doesn't just, so, so what I mean by that is he doesn't just know how your spirit works. He doesn't just know how your mind works. He, he knows how your desires work. He really knows what you're looking for. More than you know what you're looking for. And in this moment, what he is offering is something different. So the beauty of seeing Jesus on the cross is going, you're searching, like, like a plugging away, trying to find all these things, and it's just not connecting. And I think you've heard this example before, but imagine an electrical cord that's been broken from the other side. It's flying everywhere. Sparks are flying because it's looking to be connected. And what Jesus does on the cross is not open an invitation only for you to come to heaven, but he teaches you how to be human again. He shows you true humanity. He says it's not found in that room with her. It's not found in that job. Let me show you what true humanity looks like. Maybe the best way I can explain this is, um, there's no debate about this. Honeycrisp apples are the best apples in the world. Um, Candace disagrees, but all of us together clearly disagree with her. Um, And, and so I, I'm all about them. I just, the pop of them, I'm just all about a honey crisp apple. Okay. So we'll get them right now. My wife has this whole thing that she read about the dirty dozen. There's 12 types of fruits and vegetables you can't eat that aren't organic. FYI, organic is ridiculously expensive, but I can't, so I can't get me some organic honey crisp apples because I wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage that month. But, but my mom came into town last week, right? And whenever my mom comes into town after 20 years of doing uh, methamphetamines, uh, she spent the last 15 years, she's super bright, um, really moving to an only organic diet, right? So she only eats organic, she only shops at Whole Foods, right? Now, pastor money ain't Whole Food money, FYI, okay? And so we can't do that. But when she comes into town, we don't buy groceries for like three weeks before she comes because we're going to Whole Foods and we drop like three grand, okay? So, so, so I get when my mom comes into town, these Honeycrisp apples, but they're not just Honeycrisp apples, they're organic 
Honeycrisp apples. Now, you ain't never had an organic Honeycrisp apple. You're going, like, I know why Adam and Eve did what they did, right? Okay? <laughs> now, now you, 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 feed, you, you bite it, and you're like, this is it, man. And I think this is what Jesus is doing, right? He's, he's putting in front of us, yeah, you've tasted it, but it's, it's not really what it's supposed to be. You've kind of tasted a part of it. And I'm telling you, I'm offering something different, something organic, full humanity, something better. To rest in him is what we would be all about in that moment. Now, he, he makes a statement that I think is worth uh, uh, saying here when he says, for I'm gentle and lowly at heart. I think he, he makes this statement. It's important to recognize this, this statement, kind of um, the two probably more popular parts of that, that verse there. I think he makes a statement in juxtaposing um, what other idols are offering to you. Because he's going in this moment, I am lowly, I'm gentle and lowly at heart because you know that other thing that you're searching after is suffocating you. Like it's never going to say enough. I mean, man, I'm just very practically, maybe the most obvious answer is watching my parents go through this. Watching my dad for 35 years beyond meth and look at himself in the mirror and go, what has hell done to me on this earth? Like, it's pulling, it's pulling, it's never going to be enough. It wants more, it wants more. And Jesus goes, and I'm, I'm gentle. I'm lowly at heart, and I'm telling you what I'm offering you is good. I think it's great. Now, he goes on to, to uh, say the statement, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is where we start to wrap up. Um, I want to explain this in so many different ways, but I think the best way that I can explain it, or at least uh, the most helpful way that I can explain it, um, is, is personally, experientially. And I, I, I don't know um, how everyone else feels in the room, but I can say since becoming a Christian, there's this weight and burden as a Christian. And the, the best way that I can explain it is that it's wonderfully heavy. It's, it's, it's something that I go like, like there's still this, like I want it, but like, I've tasted it, and I want more, and I want more, and like, I, I know I should be talking to my neighbor, and, and the best way maybe I can, I can describe it, and it falls short in a lot of ways, um, but I was trying to think about a good example to give, give this, and, and what he's getting at here, is honestly, it's like being a parent. Like, it's real difficult to be a parent when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're covered in urine because your three-year-old snuck into your bed and just peed everywhere, Right? No, like, it's difficult to, to, to be a parent, being mindful, you know, the, the cliche, the old adage that it's like wearing your heart on the outside of your body, like always worrying, waking up in the middle of the night, the throw up, the pooping, it's just difficult, okay? But you catch me on the worst day of parenting, the hardest day of parenting I have ever had, and you ask me, all right, I can erase all of those memories, and I can pretend it's never happened. Not a chance. I'll take the poop, I'll take the pee. I'll take the waking up. And though it's difficult, I love it. And I think this is the romantic part of what Jesus is affording us. He's going, listen, man, I'm, I'm not giving you sugar plums and fairies. I'm telling you, this robe that I'm giving you, it is a burden, but it's light. It, it's different. I'm putting in front of you something unbelievable. I'm affording you what it means to be fully human. So before I share these two really long quotes from Andrew Murray, for whatever reason, uh, when all this happened, it was around Christmas time, and I was super frustrated as I, I, sh- as I shared. And, and man, there's something to be said um, for the elders because they had to make a hard decision, not just for um, hearing it from you guys, but hearing it from me. I, I didn't talk to them for like four weeks, and I, and I handled that in all the wrong ways. I was very frustrated with everything that was going on. And then you kind of step back and see, by God's grace, 
they chose the hard path of love in a lot of those moments. But um, sorry, there's a rabbit trail. But the point is, in January, I, um, Candace and I, for some reason, fell in love with the song Hallelujah. I don't know how it even happened. Um, and if you're not familiar with the song, it always plays around Christmas time. Um, but it has nothing to do with Christmas. So I don't know why it always plays. But um, I've heard there was a secret Lord, that, a secret chord that David played. And Obviously, we fell in love with it so much. Um, so, so uh, and, and here's what's crazy. As, as we started to like listen to this song like, and we, we heard it, we found out we weren't the only ones who were really infatuated this, with this song. It was crazy. Originally written uh, by a guy named Leonard Cohen. There's actually a book about this. I wrote his name down. Uh, Alan Light wrote a, a book called The Holy and the Broken about this song. And this song's super crazy, y'all. It's this crazy song. It has almost 100 verses written to this song. I mean, bizarre. Leonard Cohen, for some reason, could not get this song down. He couldn't nail exactly what he was trying to get at. And though he's not a Christian, he uses these biblical references, right? Well, it doesn't end up becoming popular until a guy named Jeff Buckley ends up covering it in the 80s. And then guys like Bono have sung it and so on, you know, Willie Nelson. And, and there's just people who've, who've covered it since then. But, but this song is really great. And, and I think it clicked for Candace and I in hearing the song, why there's such an infatuation around it. And I just want to share um, why I think this song is so bizarre that I think Cohen was stating something that he didn't even fully know he was stating, okay? So this is just uh, a little bit, I just shared that part. First of all, the song starts awesome when it says uh, the, uh, that David played to please the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. I, he's describing what's the major fall, the minor lift. Okay, you got it. Um, okay. Um, but then it goes on to say this, right? And these are biblical references from not, uh, not a Christian. Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight, in the moonlight, overthrew you. So he, in this moment, is immediately uh, referring to David. If you're not familiar with David and Bathsheba, David sees Bathsheba. He sees her, and he calls her to himself, right, um, to sleep with her. Um, her and her, her uh, beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne, and she cut your hair. Then he immediately references Samson. Now, both of these figures, and this is where we get at why this is important, both these figures desired something that, they, that was broken. And I think that's what Cohen is getting at. Because he goes on to make this statement, and from your lips, hear this, she drew the hallelujah. Like in this moment, David is meant to, to like cry out in worship. He's made and wired to worship. He is made to desire. But what happened is Bathsheba drew that hallelujah out of him. And now it's a broken hallelujah. So when you enter into that relationship that you know you shouldn't, when you desire things that you know you shouldn't, those are broken hallelujahs. And he goes on in the next verse to make the statement, the, the back half of this verse. Um, and I've seen your flag on the marble arch. Love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Man, I don't, I don't know how much Cohen knew he was getting into with the way that human wiring works. But there is something within us that desires more. And unfortunately, we, we go to all the wrong places. And this is why this verse stuck out and was so big. Because I forgot that Jesus was the thing. He was the thing. That I'm to come to him and not find my rest and insecurity at how big our church is? How silly is that? I remember middle of January, I thought, like, what's the point? Like, who cares? If we became 10,000, <laughs> what what's the point? 
And, and I, I had to like be reminded of the idolatry that's in my own heart, these broken hallelujahs. So I finished with two very long quotes from Andrew Murray. And um, the reason I finished with these is because um, I think it expresses the way that it is. And um, David Livingston would, would always say that he would, he would take parts of sermons and he would read them as if the, the man himself was, was preaching them. And that's what I want to do now. I know it's a long um, quote, and then I have one more really long quote for you, and then I promise we'll pray and we'll get out of here. Um, this is what he says um, about this situation, coming to Jesus um, and finding a rest in different places. At salvation, you experience that his word was truth. All his promise, all, the, all of his promises he fulfilled. He made you partakers of the blessings and the joy of his love. Was not his welcome most hearty, his pardon full and free, his love most sweet and precious? You more than once at your first coming to him felt this, and yet you have complained, you had to complain of disappointment. As time went on, your expectations were not realized. The blessings you once enjoyed were lost. The love and joy of your first meeting with your Savior, uh, with your Savior, I apologize, instead of deepening, have become faint and feeble. Often you have wondered what the reason could be that with such a Savior, so mighty and so loving, your experience of salvation should uh, not have been a fuller one. The answer is very simple. We have wandered from him. The blessings he bestows are all connected with his come to me and are only to be enjoyed in close fellowship with himself. You either did not fully understand or did not rightly remember the, uh, that the call meant come to me and stay with me. And yet this was, very, this was in very deed his object and purpose when you first, gosh, can I read? Um, it's really tiny font, you guys, so I don't even know where I am. You know what, can I do this? Where are we at? Um, there we go. Um, very deed, let's just start from the middle. His object and purpose, when first he came and called you to himself, it was not to refresh you for a few short hours after your conversion with the joy of his love and deliverance, and then to send you forth to wander in sadness and sin. He has destined you to something better than a short-lived blessedness, to be enjoyed only in times of special earnestness and prayer, and then to pass away. No, indeed, he had prepared for you an abiding dwelling with himself, where your whole life and every moment of it might be spent, where the work of your daily life might be done, and where all the while you might be enjoying unbroken communion with himself. It was this he meant when he said, come to me. This is the offer. Come to me. And it's real, man. I'm telling you, it's real. It's real in prayer. His spirit is real. He, he, he moves and he speaks. The dude is real. Now, he goes on, and this is where, um, let me just read it, and then this is where we'll finish. I fear that there are many who have indeed come to Jesus and who yet have mournfully to confess that they know but little of this blessed abiding in him. With some, the reason is that they never fully understood that this was the meaning of the Savior's call. With others, though they heard the word, they did not know that such a life of abiding fellowship was possible and indeed within their reach. Others will say that though they did believe that such a life was possible and seek after it, they have never yet succeeded in discovering the secret of its attainment. And others, again, alas, will confess that it is their own unfaithfulness that has kept them from the enjoyment of, this, of the blessing. To all such, I come now in the name of Jesus, their Redeemer and mine. 
with the blessed message. In his name, I invite them to come and for a season. And hear, hear this. I need you to hear this. This is Andrew Murray saying this to his congregation. But I'm, I'm asking you what God has done in me. Join me in this and hear these same words that you would know this is true for us. And when he says this, in his name, I invite them to come and for a season, meditate with me daily on the meaning. Come to me. It's lessons, it's claims, and it's promises. I know how many and how, to the young believer, how difficult the questions are which suggest themselves in connection with it. There's especially the questions, even the possibility of it, in the midst of weary work and continual distraction. I do not undertake to remove all difficulties. This Jesus Christ himself alone must do by his Holy Spirit. But what I would gladly, by the grace of God, be permitted to do is to repeat day by day the Master's blessed command, Come to me until it enters the heart and finds a place there. No more to be forgotten or neglected. Let us meditate on its meaning until the understanding, that gate to the heart, opens to apprehend something of what it offers and expects. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for who you are, for what you've done. We're grateful for your your work I'm thankful for what you did in me to remind me to come to you, to find rest in you, that there are synthetic rests out there. And and, and I was fooled and I believed the lie. Jesus, I thank you for your saving grace to remind me that coming to you is what's most important, to continually come to you. I pray that would be true of us as a church, that we would meditate on what it means to be in close communion with you, to abide with you, to be with you. You are what matters. May we see that the world is offering us one thing, but you offer us something different. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness, for your time in this last four or five months for us as a church to grow in the depth in which we have. You showed us and proved that you are the king, that you continue to display your work aside from Sean. Thank you, Jesus, that, that, that you are good, that you are so, so good. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.